Mic check, mic check. Get excited, Andrew. Yes, sir. Episode 43, are you excited? Quaranta, no, quaranta three. Yeah, very excited, Andrew. You're so excited you're speaking a different language. Italian, I think. That scares me. A little bit me. mumble there. Now I'm scared. Now you're scared. Everybody's working. This is the Dab Podcast. Under the lights. Uh-oh. Beaver Stadium. Uh-oh. My alma mater. Uh-oh. Hosted by Andrew Romanella and Anthony Rinaldi. He might be able to double that whole salary. Woo! It's showtime. Ah, oh, listening to the Dab Podcast. Come on. Ah, Welcome in episode 43, the Dab Podcast from the Dig Me Dab Studios. I am your host, Andrew Romanella. Alongside me, my partner, Anthony Rinaldi. Andrew. How are you? I am doing fantastic, Mr. Rinaldi. As always, we come to the people sponsored by Dig Me Nation. Remember, you need to head to digmenation.com. You need to use the promo code DIGTHEDAB18. And when you do that, you receive 30% off of your purchase because Dig Me Nation is the official sponsor of the DAB podcast, who is the official sports podcast of Dig Me Nation. It all makes sense. It doesn't make sense if you don't go to digmenation.com. Head over there now. Dig the DAB18. 30% off your next purchase, as well as vm-sports.com, dinner with Shane Spencer, four-hour open bar, four-hour, a question and answer with yours truly, a red carpet event, dinner, I mean, autographs, what else could you want? vm-sports.com, get there now, buy those tickets before November 15th, because if you do buy those tickets before November 15th, you will enter your chance, Mr. Rinaldi. For tickets to opening day for the New York Yankees or possibly the New York Mets, as well as some possible dab podcast apparel. We are just giving stuff away. Gotta come see three time. That's right, folks. Three time world champ Shane Spencer. Ask him about that beautiful start to the flip play that Derek Jeter once made famous. It's the famous Jeter play. It's Shane Spencer. You can be with him on December 2nd. Head over to vm sports.com for that. Lastly, Twitter. Instagram, social media, Blitz. Dab Podcast on both the websites, dabpodcast.com, and you know, iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, it matters that you listen, but as we always say, it matters more that you rate the cast. Subscribe it, rate it. If you can't find it, you got your own problems, because folks, it's everywhere. We have an exciting show for you today, because not only are Mr. Rinaldi and myself going to dive in to a little bit of basketball, a little bit of college football, and a little bit of NFL. We're going to be joined when we dive into that football circuit by a friend of the podcast and what we would consider a college and pro football analyst, Mr. Rob Datoma, the associate head baseball coach and recruiting coordinator for Fordham University. So later on in the show, ladies and gentlemen, stick around because we will be joined by Rob Datoma to talk a little football, college, and professional but before Rob joins us, Mr. Rinaldi, there is NBA on my mind. Andrew, all right. Tell me you had the Nuggets sitting there 9-1 to start the season. I did not have the Nuggets being this good on the hardwood. How about the Sacramento Kings on your hardwood? 
No. With the Thunder. Your Thunder. Though five straight after a brutal start. And the Grizz. The Grizz threw the towel last year, Andrew. They actually have the top last three seeds there in the Western Conference. And uh, that's right. I, I didn't mention anything about the Houston Rockets, the Utah Jazz, the New Orleans Pelicans, or the L.A. Bronze. None of them in my top eight right now in the Western Conference, Andrew. The L.A. Bronze. How do you feel about that? That's actually hilarious. Well, the way I feel, twofold. The first one is you knew the Nuggets were on the brink of something last year. They pushed the envelope. They just missed out on the playoffs. You knew that they were going to be a pretty good ball club coming into this year. Did I expect them to be this good? No. Did I expect them to beat the Celtics the way that they they did? No. And we can get into the the Jamal Murray and Kyrie Irving incident a little bit as well because that was pretty interesting. But So I didn't expect... So that's number one. Didn't expect the Denver Nuggets. Number two, I didn't expect the Sacramento Kings. And, And I think it's just because much of my... Patriots bias when it comes to the NFL or my Kansas City Chiefs bias or my Andy Reid bias, it, it's the same thing for me when it comes to the Sacramento Kings. I expect every single year the Sacramento Kings to be really bad. So for me, those are the two surprises. I don't care that Houston had a bad first 10 days. They just brought back their defensive coordinator from last year, Jeff Bidzdelic. I, I don't know if that's going to make a difference. They're putrid on defense. They were fantastic on defense last year with him. I had a feeling the Thunder would bounce back. It does. I don't like that Russell Westbrook has a sprained ankle because he's already coming off a little bit of scope on that knee and he's had leg problems before. You don't want to see the overcompensation there. But when it, when it all comes back to it in the Western Conference, I'm just so surprised by the Nuggets and the Kings. I know you kind of you kind of danced around the topic of Jamal Murray dropping 48 last the other night. Trying to go for 50, not once, maybe twice. Drew some iron. Do you care? I don't care because it's it, it was kind of a, uh, an, an issue all day since sports talk. Was he out of line? Was he kind of was it a was it a rookie move? Was it kind of a bush league move? You hear coaches like Steve Kerr. You got to you know you played to the last you know to the last whistle. You also know that when you're up by a certain amount, it's it's kind of a unwritten rule like one of these, ba- one of these baseball unwritten rules. Basketball has unwritten rules. You don't take that shot. You're up. You know, you, even at a shot clock, sometimes you just kind of take the shot clock violation, give the ball back to the other team if you're up 15. You know, don't just throw a clanker up there. Don't even throw it. Just kind of give it to the ref. Take it. Take the turnover. Go back and play defense. End the game. But I don't care. Kid wanted to get 50. Even if he got 50, would it have been a good, a good 50? What bothers me is Kyrie Irving's reaction. He throws the ball into the crowd, and he gets fined twenty five thousand dollars. So he essentially got slapped on the wrist by the NBA, throws the ball into the crowd and says, when someone does something like that, the ball deserves to be thrown into the crowd. Bro, I got an idea. Why don't you play defense? No. I, yeah, how, about, how about that, Boston Celtics? Rather than be pissed off that the dude wants to go for 50, you know what? Give him 50. He earned it. He himself dominated whoever guarded him that night. So you know what? Screw it. If I'm that guy, and listen, can we all be honest with ourselves here? If I walked into the bar the day after I scored 48 points, it sounded pretty cool. I balled out last night. 48. I dropped 48 on Kyrie and the boys, right? But when you walk in there and say, Yo, I, I dropped 50, it's like a whole other animal. Like, it's like a different ball game when you reach that 50 point mark. So I don't fault the kid for wanting to do it. When's the next time he might have the chance to do it? 
What bothers me, and it bothers me in baseball too, what are these freaking unwritten rules? Who gives a shit? The guy, what does it matter that you lose 129 to 113 or 127 to 113 and this dude gets a career accomplishment? At the end of the day, 10 years from now, Kyrie, when you look back on your career, does that really freaking matter? Uncle Drew. It, it don't. I don't know, dude. That's, that kind of been one of... I, I, I can't validate that 50 points if he's chucking up at the end of the buzzer there. Open three, you know, no defense in his face. I mean, listen, I feel like guys, guys score 50, they only play three quarters. Well, let me ask you a question then. If a guy puts up 50 and he goes to the line 23 times, uh, i.e. probably a James Harden, uh-huh. do you count that 50 as equally as a guy like Murray who didn't go to the line that much and put up 48 or possibly 50 had he made that too? I, listen, you score 50 points in an NBA game, I feel like it's 50 points in an NBA game. But that's my point. Yeah. So even if the defense lags... And they just say, yeah, screw it, we're done. Who gives a shit? And his last shot is the one that makes it be 50, and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Isn't it still 50 points in an NBA game? So, yeah, if if I'm dribbling the ball at the floor, listen, in a men's basketball game, I'm going to be honest to everybody, okay? And you, were, you witnessed this, okay? Because one faithful night against the Orange squad last year, I went off. I had like nine points. I hit a three. It was the most points I've ever had in a game. You better believe... When I hit my ninth point, the whole time, I thought about getting to 10. I, and we won that game by 30, and I missed the opportunity to get 10, and you guys were feeding me the basketball. Now, I know that men's league, but think about it. If that's men's league basketball, and I'm, first off, the Nuggets are really freaking good. I think they're on a five-game winning streak right now in the Western Conference, which is ridiculous. They are. They're 9-1 and one overall in their first 10 games. And you know what? I just balled out on arguably one of the best point guards in the league and one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So I'm going to go for my 50. So truthfully, I honestly could give two shits. But what I'm a little concerned about, taking that whole situation out of it, is are the Celtics kind of lying to us or is it just early in the season? Because I know they're 6-3, and three, but it's not like a great 6-3. Six 6-4, and, six and four, I believe, actually, Andrew, after, last, after Monday's beatdown. I don't... Uh, it's tough to gauge the NBA eleven games in, dude. Like, you know, like Golden State, yeah, great. They're ten and one. Nuggets nine and one. Boston six and four. Right. You know, you the the Rockets are four and seven. Jazz are four and seven. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a crapshoot to begin with. It's eighty two games long. Come talk to me in you know January February. You know, you always want to. You talked about your Dolphins. Come see me in December. That's not looking pretty. So same thing with the NBA. Like. Yeah, Nuggets look good now, and I think they're going to ride it because actually with that with that win on Monday night, they moved to top ten on both sides of the ball, defense and offense. So, you know that they're 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 a young team, they're hungry, their their front office kind of banked on that young bench and the development of Murray, and uh, I think Gary Harris is the is, is the point guard. I'll call him a point guard, but he's a pretty damn good shooter as well. So I mean, the, the West is is definitely going to be a, a fun ride, but the, but with Boston in the East. Uh, I think it's still a little early. I think they got a mesh. All those players, you, you bring in new pieces. You know, Jalen Brown and Tatum had a huge role last year, but now you're bringing in, now you're bringing back, you know, Gordon Hayward. You're bringing back some some different parts. Marcus Smart, a little, a little healthier, a little different. He Toronto's was, legit. Toronto, what are they, 10 and 1? And so is Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I mean, listen, we know Giannis Antetokounmpo and the gang. We're going to be good. We, we did not think that they were going to be possibly compete for a top four, top five spot in the East. 
and again, you did say it's early, but at the same time, isn't it best to run away with some gap room so that if you hit a lull, you, you have that padding, right? Well, Milwaukee's doing that right now because the East, besides Milwaukee and Toronto, and once the Celtics figure it out, everyone else is suspect. And nor is everyone else going to do anything. And I even include the Sixers in that because I just don't think they're that good or as good as people expected them to be. Your, your top five, you could put them any, way, any which way you want going from here, from game 11 on. It's Toronto, Milwaukee, Indiana, Celtics, and Philadelphia. I think it's going to be Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee top three spots hands Sure, down. I agree with you. I, the back end of the bullpen there, nothing. Hornets, Heat, Pistons, <laughs> that's garbage. The East is so terrible. Washington's so brutal. Ah, listen. Dwight They're Howard's terrible. It's like the, Dwight Howard has a curse. It's it. Mello, that's it. Melo has a curse. That's it. The guys that don't play defense. Think about that. Melo goes to Houston. They suck. Now, listen. Mute and Trevor Ariza losing those guys, you can't lose those guys and expect to be as that good defensively. That defense. Huge. But Melo's a problem. Melo's going to get that Tony fired twice. Yes. And... Not only that, but Bezdelic, the guy that's coming back, that was is the, now the defensive coordinator from last year, Melo already got him fired. That was his head coach when he was drafted by the Denver Nuggets. A year and a half in, 28 games into his second season as the head coach for Carmelo Anthony, he was fired. So now Carmelo's playing for two guys in a situation where they're a game under 500 and not as good as they were last year with James Harden, who is a wuss. James Harden is never winning you anything. I'm sorry. When it gets to the playoffs, isolation basketball don't work. James Harden shies down in the big games, and for some reason, I just don't think he's going to win you anything. I think this is going to be a colossal failure. Yeah, Houston, they may have a problem. OKC 2.0? Probably. Probably. New York Giants 2.0? 3.0? Basketball version. Think, think about... I know this is kind of random, but we we OKC. I feel like if you had to put a list of NBA teams, if they were to lose one player, how much of a detriment that would be? Russell Westbrook. I'm going to say LeBron and Russell are probably the top two names on that list, and you can see it. I mean, they, they he missed what the first few games they were 0 four, right? and with a scope, with a knee scope, which is nothing. Nothing to sneeze at. That's not like just going to the dentist get a, a root canal. With a guy that's had knee injuries before. That's the problem. Like he's had these issues before. And you know what's you know what's really funny about what you just said right there too is I raved about the Dennis Schroeder trade in the offseason. This is why. You did. This is why. Depth. Because you need that depth. And and I agree with that. And I, it's just LeBron's the best player in the world. So uh, look at Cleveland. What are they? One and nine one right nine. now. Dumpster fire. And they fire Tyron Lue. Is it really? Is it? Was it really his fault? No. How do you fire a coach two weeks into his coaching debut? With, I mean, unreal. Seriously, without LeBron James, and he wasn't coaching when LeBron was there. But, you know LeBron's coaching. But at the end of the day, the like Luke Walton ain't coaching. You know LeBron's coaching. Right. But the dude brought you your first championship in the franchise history, right? Mm -hmm. So you know what? I think he at least deserves this season, right? You deserve the season. Yeah. You're going to lose anyways. You're going to lose anyway. Who gives a shit? Let Tyron Lue be the guy. Who maybe, cares? Maybe they think they have something in, in, in young, in waiting. They want to bump him up, give him, the, give him that exposure. That's the only question. They, maybe, you know, Tyron Lue has the health issues. Maybe he wasn't, he probably wasn't given 100%. Maybe the ownership saw something, didn't like his body language on the bench or something. It is what it is. Listen, a lot of coaches get fired. It is what it is. And the Cavs are going to suck regardless. There's a few coaches, though, Anthony, that... We're going to need to discuss in the NFL that I think might need to get fired. And now we welcome into the podcast associate head coach and recruiting coordinator from Fordham University, our college and pro football analyst extraordinaire, Rob DeToma. Rob, welcome back into the podcast. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Finally, I made an extraordinaire of something. That, that's exciting. Long journey. Yeah, I'm fired up. Hey, listen, I want you to know that we don't just hand out those titles easily. That's something that's earned. So that's exciting. I earned it. I thought I earned it, but let's see. Well, let's let's earn it now because the college football playoff rankings just came out for week number two. And, I mean, let's be really honest with ourselves here, Rob. Everybody knows that the ranking doesn't really matter. We saw that when Alabama beat LSU last weekend, 29 to nothing. So the real questions kind of come into play. Is Michigan legit? Is Notre Dame legit? ND's three, Michigan's four, Georgia's five. Does it really matter? Uh, No, but I mean, if they sucked us right in, because we wouldn't have podcasts or anything to discuss without the polls, so I guess we're guilty of it. Um, The ranking show here, they do every night. But yeah, I mean, obviously we talked about this 10 weeks ago before the season started. That I, I think we had Alabama and Clemson back then as the one-two, and it's still the case now. But to me, yeah, I, if you if you take Alabama out of the mix, which I think you got to do to analyze everybody else, Notre Dame and Michigan are as real as it gets in the non-Alabama college football world. <laughs> so I guess yeah, that you know they're as real as it gets for a top four, you know, two, three, four scenario, which is I guess what we're playing for here. Um, but without. If we say they're not, we don't have anything to root for so or to watch this season. So we got to hope they at least can give us some drama down the stretch here. But realistically, can anyone beat Bama? The last week was supposed to be the chance. That didn't turn out too well. Well, and that's what's funny, too, is because they always say, you know, you, you play the game for a reason. Well, this is one of those scenarios where I feel like I look at it and I say, yeah, we do play the games for a reason. And the reason is for people to probably tailgate, have a great Saturday and watch some college football. Because when you see Bama come into a game against LSU where, uh, listen, LSU, LSU's cover corners are legit. That defense from safeties to cornerbacks, that's an NFL defense right there. Alabama and Tua Tugavailoa come out and they have their least amount of receiving or passing yards they've had all year. But because they're so good, they run for the most amount of yards they've run for all year. So then they just come out and say, hey, we're two-dimensional. And that's the one thing I look at. So it's not even can your offense keep up. It's can your defense really hold them off the board? Because we're talking about LSU, like one of the best defenses in the country, and they gave up 29 points. Yeah, and you – you know, I mean – before the Tua took over, I mean, he used to be able to – they had that flaw. They didn't have the offensive weapons or the guy to get the ball to the offensive weapons. So you can – they'd always seem to get upset once or somebody would run wild and score enough points to beat him. Now they don't have that – you know, they don't have that flaw on offense. They can go to either way. They used to just have to pound the ball, run it down your throat, keep it away. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be hard, but you got to play – and on the other perspective, coach a perfect game. And I think Ed Orgeron proved he can't do that, or however he pronounces last name. <laughs> I mean, before that, you got a 9 nothing. You could have very easily pretty much got to the half there at 9 nothing, and almost look at it as a win. But he's got the ball on his own goal line and firing the ball around the field, stopping the clock, giving them a one more possession to make right. it 16 nothing. And we all... At nine, you might have thought it was over, but at 16, I think you could have turned that game off at halftime because you knew that there was no coming back from that. Rob, you saw how how prolific Tua, Tua was. Uh, you saw the little knee injury, kind of got a little scared. I'm sure Alabama is holding their collective breath. I mean, sure, they have probably the best free agent quarterback in college football, <laughs> and Jalen Hurts, you know, just riding the pine there, so they're not too worried, but 
Uh, you see, I mean, he wasn't as accurate as, as Andrew pointed out with, his, with the stats and whatnot. But, I mean, you saw him drop some dimes in there to his receivers. Uh, do you see any scenario where uh, a Clemson, that, that, front, that front four, you know, we'll see them on Sunday. Does, does Clemson stand a chance? Because I have a feeling it's going to be Alabama-Clemson. I don't know, what is that, round three or four they're playing? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, yeah, I think you gotta you got to just hope. To, and it's hard because he came in at the half halftime last year out of nowhere where no one even knew who he was, really. You just got to hope somehow the moment ends up being too big for him. You know, and that, that entails keeping the game close long enough where there is a moment. But, yeah, you know, you've seen great athletes fold under – Certain circumstances rarely happens to Bama people, but who knows? You know, he's never been in that. If you think about it, he's never had a month lead up into a big game. He, he kind of got thrown into the uh, equated to like a relief pitcher. Sometimes a starting pitcher has too long to think about his routine and is getting ready for the game. And But then you turn him into a reliever. This happens in college a lot. He just gets thrown into the fire and you get, you get outs because you don't have time to think of it. So you just got to hope maybe – I mean, if you're rooting against Bama, you just got to hope something, it's close enough to where a mistake can kill you, and then you see how he responds. Because he's never really, I mean, he was he was in a, to me, like a free roll, no-lose situation in that national championship. He came in as a savior, already down. Uh, not I, I didn't expect anything in that game. I thought it was over, uh, we're being realistic. So, you know, now they're expected to win. So maybe as the big favorite in a big game, you get that moment where it's tight. Because he does have a little bit of that wild card in him. If you look, he, he's not afraid to fire it around the field, which is kind of opposite of what all the Bama teams have done over the years. So maybe a ball gets tipped, maybe you get to him. And, yeah, I guess if you look at it, Clemson's probably the only one right now that uh, Michigan's D, maybe. I just never think they'll be able to score enough points to hang in that game. But defensively, they've been, since the Notre Dame game, they've been playing pretty well. So I guess that's what we got to hope for as fans. Before we dive into Michigan, because I want to get into Michigan, because again, I really want to know if they're legit or not, because I I truly am a firm believer that, that Harbaugh is going to disappoint me and his team's going <laughs> to always, like at the end of the year, they play Ohio State. I don't care that they play Rutgers. I don't care that they play Indiana. I feel like they're going to come into the Ohio State game and we're all like, oh, Ohio State stinks. They're not as good as we think. Who knows if Urban's even going to be back. Somehow Michigan's going to lose that game like 19-7. to But before I get your opinion on that, really honestly, I want to know, is Tua Tugabailoa better than Nate Peterman? Uh, hard to argue that he wouldn't be. Right? I mean, come on. Like, if, if two I mean, is starting for the it, Bills, they might have won three games at this point. It's – it's I more – I mean, more uh, of that is I think if Peterman were starting for Bama, they might have lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> he is as bad as I've ever – I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that old, but that's as bad as I've – and it, maybe there's been worse quarterbacks, but not an organization that keeps putting them back out there over and over and over again. It's amazing how they keep – putting that guy out there and I don't even want to drive down the Colin Kaepernick road but just to <laughs> toss that layup up there just think about the talent level that could be playing quarterback for some of these NFL teams and staying on the quarterback situation we talk about Michigan is their defense legit I think so but Shea Patterson right now is leading the charge for them on the offensive side and you look at his numbers and he's doing a really good job and obviously they've won eight straight since they dropped the home the the opener against Notre Dame but that scares me a little bit a and b again like I said before Harbaugh scares me yeah I mean to me I mean I was always in the Harbaugh 
Yeah, Harbaugh was one of the elite coaches, you know, coming out of the NFL doing, I thought it was a minor miracle getting the Niners back to relevance, a Super Bowl, NFC Championship within one year. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a referendum year for him. It's turned out, it's shaked out that way. All the other times I thought when they went into that Ohio State game, uh, I thought Ohio State was the better team. Uh, I didn't think it was a do or do. This is... If they get to that game with one loss and pretty much, I think, a playoff trip's on the line, this, this is the, he has to win that game to, to be anything. I mean, they'll never run him out of Michigan, I don't think. He's he's their guy. But if he doesn't win that game, it's hard to take him serious anymore. Uh, you, don't, you don't have a more down uh, – it's hard to say down when the team's lost one game. But this is not an <laughs> Ohio State team that should <laughs> be beating you when you're – but you know how those rivalries go. But this, to me, is a definite referendum – he has to win this game this year, no matter who his quarterback is, uh, no matter the scenario. So, I you know I do think if he's the one who gets to, they're not they're going to be at a talent deficiency. But yeah, you know, what as an underdog getting to that big game, who knows? He's been to a Super Bowl. It's not like the moment's going to overwhelm him if he gets to play Alabama. So they'll have a plan. But yeah, we'll shake Patterson, give him a chance. I don't know, but you know you got. I think the best defense in America can only. I mean, holding Alabama to a touchdown a quarter might be a, a victory. So you're going to have to score 30 points to win, in my opinion. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah Coach, I, I, I hate to admit anything good about Michigan, <laughs> anything good about Ohio State, anything not good about my Penn State. Nittany Lions, <laughs> as they went into the big house and they left the big house, I didn't think it was... Were I, they in the big house? I don't think they even showed up <laughs> to the big house. I think they took a wrong turn down there and went to... Uh, they missed Ann Arbor and just went right to uh, East Lansing, Michigan State, and tried to re- replay that game. But <laughs> besides the Michigan-Ohio State matchup, I know uh, West Virginia, they're Oklahoma, they're knocking at the door. Uh, they're going to play each other, I think, shortly. We'll see a be- we'll see a matchup of Bama versus Georgia in in the SEC championship. Do, do you think Georgia? Yes, they lost to LSU, but they've kind of turned a corner. They've st- started to figure some things out. Do you think they? Have a puncher's chance in that game. Uh, like I said earlier, I think Clemson's gonna gonna ride out so undefeated season. They're basically just gonna wait until the college playoff until the you know until the final week and two weeks and just take their number two ranking and just go with it from there. But I mean, do any of these matchups, any of these conferences, the Big Twelve, Pac twelve? I mean, I don't think Washington State is gonna do anything. I think they kind of fallen off the mix. Andrew's favorite squad, UCF. Undefeated team. I mean, if they go undefeated, national have, champs. Are they gonna have a second parade? <laughs> you have to. Right? It's a repeat. Back to back. First time since when? <laughs> so really, my question is: is I know we kind of have if if Alabama, Notre Dame, and Clemson all go undefeated, which they probably should theoretically because they will be favored in the next few games going forward. What's kind of that last conference that's kind of left out in the cold there? You think it would be that Michigan Ohio State matchup, or will Oklahoma West Virginia sneak in there? Yeah, I mean, I and who's going to be left out if you're asking that? I mean, I think no doubt that the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve are going to be on the outside looking in for various reasons. But remember, none more so than TV ratings. I, I don't think they're keeping Ohio State or Michigan out of the game, and it's hard. It's hard to do that. For Ohio, I mean Ohio State's resume would be awful. I think if they got yeah. if they, they cut the loss, but you know how that that's happened before. Um, I I don't think I mean Oklahoma. If it's West Virginia, I I think you could almost count them out unless two teams lose because 
I don't. I think we could all agree they're not putting West Virginia in that game over uh, Ohio State or Michigan if they had their chance to. Um, so I mean, I think it's coming down to the Big Ten. But I think we, if you work off the, I mean, I think we should be thanking if, if just think if there was the old BCS this year. I mean, yeah, we'd have a great debate, Clemson Notre Dame, I guess. But really, we'd have nothing to watch down the entire stretch of the season, at least. If we go off my original theory of pretend there is no Alabama, we got some pretty significant football games for that last spot. Uh, theoretically, the Big 12, Ohio State, Michigan, every Notre Dame game here down the stretch, even though they'll be favored. Um, they give you a reason to watch. And I think without, if it was the old BCS, we probably just, we're watching Alabama and Clemson win every week. And we know that's going to be our matchup. So, um, I think that's the boat we're in, but if you're asking, I mean, I think it's that Ohio, if they can both get there with the one loss and I don't know if Ohio state will even get past this week. I think that's a tough game for them at Michigan state. It always is. But if they do that, I think we're, we have our play in game right there. If the other three hold up. I, I think that's a brilliant point. And I have to ask you now, is it time to go to six, maybe eight teams for this national yeah, championship? I, I mean, should I mean, we expand it? Cause the four is yeah, great and all, but we're, a, we're leaving out major conferences and, Unfortunately, we're leaving out these wonderful undefeated teams that play cupcakes all down the season, but, hey, they're undefeated. So, well, it's hard for a UCF. I mean, I don't know. We're not on the phone when they're trying to schedule their games. I mean, who knows who they're trying to play and not. I'm sure they would sign up right now to play a home-and-home home with Alabama or Clemson, but we all know those teams aren't going down to Orlando to play these guys on a, a return trip. Uh, but that's the hypocrisy of the sport. The team has won every game for two years, and they've never had a shot to play for anything. At least in, if this was college hoops, they'd have their shot. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd be all for expansion. But I think if the point of expansion depends what your reasonings are, I think they should do it based on we want more relevant games within the regular season. And the only way to do that, to me, would be you got to go to a minimum of six. We got five tower conferences five champs should be in and then the sixth is a wild card. So you got your shot. If you're UCF doesn't mean they'll always take you. Uh, but the reason I like six over eight is Batman Clemson this year. If those are our two, we can keep our shows. We keep watching every Tuesday night. One and two is huge. If you do NFL playoff style and they get their bye, I think that's a distinctive. If you go to eight, you know, it doesn't really matter if you come in first place, eighth place, you, you still got to win your three games to be a champ. So to me, when we're talking about five power conferences who control everything, but only four spots, we're setting up for a war every year as to which conference gets left out. And then when you throw the almighty Notre Dame who can't join a conference because they have to portray themselves as better than everybody. Now we got an, an even bigger problem and to throw even more problem into that. What if Alabama loses in the SEC championship, are we really keeping them out? So now you got two SECs and Notre Dame. We're going to have three conferences left out because uh, we all know that, and rightfully so, if Alabama slipped up to Georgia, how are we keeping Alabama out of the play? They are one of the four best teams in everybody's mind. So I think it's an imperfect system, but I, I kind of think that's how they want it so people like us can have a show like this. That's that, and that's it. And, and that's the other thing too. Is thank God for that. What if Alabama does lose? Like yeah. we're, we're all we're, we're all let's, stop. let's be serious. They're not losing. They, they aren't. They're not. But if but they're at the smart, same, they would get two of their 
the two of their SECs in and then go beat up on Georgia when it matters. Like it did. Like, like is, didn't, haven't we seen that story before? Yeah, LSU once. I mean, <laughs> if I'm the SEC, I might be instructing the referees a little something to get two two shares of that money instead of one well, share of that money. But I I got two responses to that. The first one is I've always been a proponent of eight teams, but I'll tell you what, you just convinced me right there as to the reasoning of needing it only to be six because right now we're dealing with the issue of does a conference championship actually matter it it really won't matter or any of the seating won't matter you're right if we expand beyond that six number so wow i never thought about that way but the second thing is is notre dame not the dallas cowboys of college football i mean it's like america's team that never wins anything yeah they are that is exactly pretty much because you're living off even further ago with them i mean I don't know when the last time they... Lou Holt. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. What's that, 88? They yeah. won the title? 88, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they. it's a good comparison. They're very much living off. But it doesn't matter. It's a sport. They got their own channel, and they're halfway part of the ACC. Pretty much with the, the, the NCAA bows down to them because they got a large contingent of people. We're in New York. Notre Dame's nowhere near us, but you see just as much Notre Dame stuff as any other school in the country. And anybody of Irish descent or any, any type of heritage to Ireland is rooting for them. Uh, it's a national brand. So, but yeah, they have, to me, I don't know, this actually looks like a little better version of a team they've had, I think. I thought the fight they showed with Northwestern, I mean, listen to what we're saying, a fight with Northwestern, but they did show something in that game where they were up 24-7 and got that back to a three-point game and they were able to score. I mean, at least they showed something. something. So we'll see if they can get there. But, yeah, it is, it'll, yeah, it, it is a little more relevant when they're in, just like they're polarizing like the Cowboys. So as much as you hate them or you love them, when they're in, it makes it, People still talk about the T.O. catch, no catch. I don't know if we're still talking about if that was the Falcons or the Saints. It's the Cowboys. It's Notre Dame. So, But hopefully it's not like the last time we had to watch Notre Dame play in a big game or the last 10 times where they pretty much get pushed around and after seven minutes the outcome is determined. And here's what happens. They're going to end up losing the USC whenever that game is. And we're all going to sit here and go, well, much like we've talked about, Notre Dame just Notre Dame'd everybody. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, they could. I hope. I kind of hope it doesn't happen because I do too. You know, they, they give a, they give us something to there's something to roof. I don't know. There's just a little more interest and but but let's be honest. I mean, we've all how many years if you've been following college football, they do this every week. Even back in the BCA, you'd have your six or so teams with one or no loss. If they win out, we're gonna have chaos. Yeah. How many times do we get to the end of the year where there's even more than one team that finishes undefeated as a power five. <laughs> There's always going to be something like we're drawing it up now. Like it's Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame are all going to finish undefeated. And usually somebody loses a game in these last couple. We haven't really, I think now it turns, maybe it was Notre Dame at Northwestern a little bit. Now you get the turn of 18 to 21 year olds feeling pressure in these games. And I don't think you get that same intensity pressure in September as you do when now it's two weeks away from a playoff, three weeks away. We see it every year. 20-point favorites lose to somebody on the road. or We've seen it a lot. Clemson at Syracuse. Uh, Ohio State's lost to Michigan State with Zeke Elliott's team in the past. <laughs> it always seems to happen, the one out-of-nowhere game 
we saw, and I want to change gears now because we made the comparison about Notre Dame and the Dallas Cowboys. And I, first off, I told all the people that you were also an expert in pro football. So we got to give them that expertise. But Obviously. Obviously. I, they should have they known that. that. Right. That, that's on them, right? That's not on us. That's on them. But, like, I'm sitting here watching Monday Night Football. I'm like, all right, are the Tennessee Titans good? Are the Dallas Cowboys good? I don't really know. But what I do know is I don't think Jason Garrett should be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys anymore. Your thoughts? <laughs> he's, my thought, and for about 10 years I've been saying this, he's not. He's not <laughs> they don't have a head coach. The, the head coach is from the booth. We all know what the Dallas situation is. Um, it's the same thing. He, uh, I think it was Mike Lombardi, one of them. They, they call him the clapper. He's there on the sideline to clap and have the headset. I don't know if you saw the – all over Twitter, the guy who dressed as Garrett as Halloween, and he basically has headsets on, he's just clapping, yeah. he spits, he does everything. <laughs> and he's just, you hear him muttering the words punt. punt. <laughs> but yeah, there's no, I don't think it is hard for you to convince me that you are the coach of a team when you, you actually don't say anything the entire, pan over to Belichick's sideline, and he is constantly, he doesn't have a play sheet in front of him, but he is there's never a moment he's not talking into that headset to somebody or to Brady or to the crouched over with the defense behind the bench. And I know I'm taking the best coach of our time, but <laughs> and look at then look over to Dallas and there's a guy who doesn't he's just clapping, doesn't he talks to a ref about a hold. I mean, pretty much non involvement in the game. So but I it's irrelevant whether he's fired or not, because unless Jerry's gonna decide I gotta go get a football guy again, which he does every you know, 15 years or so, he realizes I need someone in to fix the mess I built, hence Jimmy Johnson or Bill Parcells, and then he has to run them out of town because they actually know the game and want the power. But he needs a puppet because he needs to run the team. So until he's not the owner or realizes he's not the football coach and the owner at the same time, they'll always be in that. No, if you're a realistic how, you know, you, you think you know what you're doing as a football coach. Are you going to go there to work for him and watch what goes on when the players can clearly run to the owner's box and, you know, have their complaints heard instead of just told, go to the coach? Are we sure that Garrett's headset's even on? <laughs> Dude, I, I, who's he talking I, to in a little box up there? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I kind of I have to agree with you. My father's a diehard Cowboy fan. It drives me crazy because I'm a Giant fan. And it was, I always get to wrangle him because he hasn't won crap in 23 years. Yeah, you've gotten the better of the last uh, 20 years, so I wouldn't be upset about it. Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I can't brag now being 1-7, but <laughs> going back to the Cowboys, I mean, it's clearly the issues. Yeah, we could fire Jason Garrett. I think he also got to get rid of Dak Prescott. I think he's kind of not – not that he's not a bad quarterback, but I don't think he's the right quarterback. He might not be the franchise quarterback. I agree. And I nice. think I think it kind of – he kind of got skewed when he had that good kind of rookie start. But I think he hit on the head coach when he said that the problem lies with Jerry Jones, the president, yeah. the owner. He gets his, in his own way, and until he realizes or, you know, sadly or unfortunately passes away and gets rid of – you know, he's, he's no longer there, I feel like there's going to be this great cloud over the Cowboys. But I, I feel – I mean, I, how are they going to – There'll be no change, so they can bring in any coach they want next year. But if Jerry still has the same power, then you're going to be—they don't, yeah—you're going to be in the same boat. Nothing's going to change unless you get a, you know, a program franchise-changing quarterback that can 
overcome everything like Rogers tries every week with his coaching staff, but that's what you got to deal with. Your your New York Jetsropolitans just got a game-changing quarterback, but unfortunately it does not look too good right now. Would you say that that Todd Bowles is probably in the same situation as Jason Garrett? Not the your owner and your GM are telling you what to do, but just the fact that he might not have a job next year. It's hard to say. The one thing about the Jets is that McCagnan, the GM, is pretty quiet. It's a pretty tight ship. You don't really hear, which is good, I think. You don't really hear future stuff or rumors coming at which you know it's actually anti-jet usually it's the most comically run organization you could find but uh yeah i that jumps it, up to the giants coach that jumps ship. That, that went across the, the river shift. across the locker the room now the giants are a clown of an organization i know how did that happen the shift is amazing in this town <laughs> it used to be the other way around. it's we'll called see. eric flowers <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even blame uh, him at this point i can't even blame him this but yeah i mean if you're asking me I mean, I, I kind of told you, if you go back to the first time I was on with you, I, I didn't think Bowles was the answer. I, not in the sense of uh, Garrett. I think he, I think Bowles coaches his part of the, his side of the team. I think they play for him. Uh, I just don't think, if you're really going to turn the corner and call me crazy, but I think the philosophy needs to be when you're trying to build with a young quarterback, you need to have an offensive side of the ball guy coaching your team um, for the most part and Todd's a defensive coach uh, who knows so this is the hard part we don't study the tapes we, we're not football experts in the sense of X's and O's how do I know what is Sam Darnold missing out there or what is actually the design of the offense that nobody's open or the lack of weapons or because to me you, like we talked about last time the Rams went Goff was a bench guy to a non-functioning guy to bring in McVeigh to everybody's open and he could hit the open guy. So <laughs> some of it is scheme, some of it's a plan, and I don't know. I don't know because to, you, you, the most object you, you could look at the Jets how you want, but the times there's a few times this year he's shown flashes of how to engineer a drive and bring him down the field in two minutes, and yeah, you're gonna. You're gonna live in off some of these picks as a rookie, no matter who the guy is. I mean, it's crazy. But and the game in my, this past week, he was atrocious. Oh, that was a brutal football game. I was I just mean, the the one pick was like I, I don't know. I thought he was colorblind. Well, if like you're <laughs> if you're Todd Bowles in that game, do you put Josh McCown in there? I mean, because if you're Todd Bowles, aren't you? coaching right now to win football games and coaching for your job so at some point can't you bench a rookie quarterback and and maybe get McCown in there and say hey but like you said before bullpen guy take a breather yeah yeah you could you could who knows that's the stuff we don't know is there an organizational thing that he has to play every snap Ah, we don't know uh but I mean when you so if it was in Bulls hands though based on what I've seen over his time here Usually the game decision portion does not go his way. He doesn't seem to make the right call in any of these scenarios. Um, I don't know if you're watching the four. So if you watch the Jets every week, you'll know there's an epidemic with Todd Bowles that when you're down 10 to 14 points in that two-score range with five, six minutes left, he just loves to punt the ball away to the other team. as if there's. <laughs> and then this week he decides – with two timeouts and the two-minute warning left and 2.40 left on the clock to go for it on 4th and 15 for <laughs> midfield instead of punting to a team who hasn't moved the ball the entire day, punt them inside their own 20, and maybe give your team one more crack uh, 
from a first and 10 scenario instead of our juggernaut offense and rookie quarterback having to deal with a fourth and 15 with basically the game on the line. So to me, that shows like we have a guy with no plan or it's fine if you're a guy who either always punts or always goes for it, but he's in the middle. So to me, that's a, we don't really know what we're doing type coach. And that's the last guy you need, but the team is not good enough yet for those factors to come into play. But hopefully somebody else will be making those decisions if the team ever gets good enough to win it, be in those spots. All right, Coach, let's keep firing more NFL coaches. Let's keep going on the back of here. <laughs> because I think you hit it on the head there when you, when you kind of mentioned Bowles. You kind of mentioned his background there as you know a defensive guy out of Arizona. And I think going back in history, the only two defensive-minded coaches, and that's Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, those were only the two coaches that really had success when it comes to, I believe, coaching an entire offense, defense, special teams uh, yeah. game. And you don't see that very often. You saw it happen with John Fox a long time ago in Denver. You know, he lost his job. Uh, you saw uh, the Browns coach, Hugh Jackson, with, with a spectacular 3-36-1 record. Get it wasn't the, his fault, though. Just ask him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Get the can there. And so, I mean, my question is, is with rookie quarterbacks, you see the, the Jets and the Browns especially have two, two, rookie, two great rookie quarterbacks in, you know, in, in, in the waiting. No, where, is, where is the next Sean McVay coming from? Like, wh- how do how does a team kind of get that young, hot coach to kind of come coach that organization? They're they're obviously out there. There's got to be guys out there. Uh, if you're a GM, you're to me. If you were to talk to McVay, I mean, if you watch his press conferences, you listen to any of the stuff he does. To me, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard in an interview process. To deter, if you talk the same way he talks now and has a plan, and I'm sure that's how he presented himself in a press conference or an interview scenario, uh, it doesn't seem to me like it would be that hard to realize that guy was going to probably have success or set you up for success based on the way he presents everything. But he's also a very – he's they did the right thing over there in a sense. They just let Wade Phillips run the defense and McVay's there to focus on his side of the ball, which I think is fine. But the way the NFL is, it, it kind of has to be the offensive guy that's running the grux of the team, I feel like, because, you know, even even last night's game, tell me how Tennessee scores points, but even they score 20 to 30 points a week because that's the way the NFL is. I mean, <laughs> you're going to be on the... You're going to be on the offensive side of the field the majority of the game. There's flags. I mean, it's a game talking. centered around offense now. Even the rules yeah. are changing to be yeah, centered around why offense. You, you got to be an offensive side of the ball coach. And I mean, you mentioned Parcells and Belichick, and yeah, they're I guess by resume defensive guys. But to me, those are especially Belichick. Those are guys that just have their hand in. I guarantee, if you gave Belichick an offensive coordinator job tomorrow, they'd probably be the best offense in the league. They just seem to know the game of football a lot better than other people when they were changing rules to you can't hold the receivers and did all that stuff to help Peyton Manning. What did Belichick do? He just responded by creating basically a tight end based offense where he created a whole new position in the NFL that was better than being a receiver since you can't touch. (laughs) I mean, the guy's just ahead of everyone. So like almost like you got to separate Alabama from everyone. You kind of, when you're finding your next coach, I don't think you're going to find Belichick. you got to kind of separate him from the pack. But That's why his it, predecessors are terrible everywhere they yeah, go. Yeah, those, those guys. And that's the difference between those two. Parcells, I think, you look at his tree of coaches, he developed a lot of 
he probably did a lot better job of teaching his coaches than Belichick does. I think Belichick does a lot better job of teaching the game to his guys because his guys never make mistakes. And, but his tree of coaches looks like a tree that was living off of what <laughs> Belichick Brown was tree. doing. Look at Charlie Brown tree. As opposed to Parcells, who basically you got Sean Payton, Belichick, Coughlin. I mean, they try and pull on Coughlin off as, you know, they try and pull on all these guys off as part of Belichick. But Belichick came from Parcells, and that's kind of <laughs> – the tree's crazy if you look at what Parcells has produced. Just watch the Two Bills documentary. That's going to give amazing. you everything you need. All right, Coach, listen. We got two more questions before we let you get out of here, Okay. You nailed it. Last time you were on the podcast, your record sits forever and what do you got at 1-0. and And I think it was like a week two Chiefs matchup, but you like week. nailed Patrick Mahomes or something. So, yeah, it was week one. Yes. Chiefs for Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs future Chiefs future Hall of Famer, Pat Mahomes. Yeah, and, and what's funny about the whole situation is is Anthony and I have picked uh, 65 games to this point now. Or we, have, <laughs> we, we Something like that. We have a 65 you know, win-loss record. And we're both under 500. You come in here, one pick, week one, you're one and zero. So you now have a chance. The floor is yours to give the people because apparently you're really good at this. So you're probably going two and zero to give the people your what do you got pick for this weekend? Yeah, it's this is a you know you look at the board this week. It's not the best week of games in my opinion, especially with that Monday night thriller that yes, we have. Sir. With, uh, Giants, yeah. Niners, baby. <laughs> it's, it's a good game. It's a good football game. Um, but to me, actually, I think the best game of the weekend is actually on Thursday night. I think that's a it's Carolina in Pittsburgh. And to me, this is like a statement game for both teams. And Pittsburgh just, you would say, oh, they just had their statement game. They beat the Ravens. Uh, but to me, if the Steelers are going to be amongst the top of the AFC where they usually are. This is usually a game they got to have to keep them in that two to three loss range. Because, I mean, it is jumbled up at the top of the AFC, which is crazy. You know, Chiefs with a loss, Patriots, Chargers, believe it or not, with two. And then there's the Steelers at five, two, and one. So, to me, that's the game of the week. And same thing on the other end. If you're Carolina, I mean, the Saints are on fire, but Carolina's right there. If they could... They, they are that weird uh, – I don't know if you guys feel the same, but they are just, to me, like a forgotten uh, Cam Newton. You can't throw the ball. And then you look up, and they're always within a game, and every single one of their games comes down to the ball seems to be on the 10-yard line and one of, they either got to stop somebody or score to win the game. Um, so that's my game of the week, but I do think it'll be the Steelers on that short week turnaround. Um, and just on a side note, did uh, anyone uh, – realize Le'Veon Bell's missing because I think that proves and he's the best one but you really need running backs to, to be the multi-billion dollar guy on your team or can you replace them pretty easily is it Le'Veon <laughs> Bell or is it the Steelers system because Maybe. James Conner looks pretty freaking good in the exact same system yeah and that's my point I don't I think he actually he'll get his money and hopefully it'll be the Jets that get Bell but He'll get his money, but I think he just showed a lot of the league that, wait a minute, I don't need to invest all my – if you take Roethlisberger out, you better find someone to replace him real fast, and you might spend 20 years trying to find it. But running back, replaceable position, in my opinion, as he's just shown with that team. Uh, but, yeah, that's my game there, and I, I do think it'll be the Steelers winning the game. And 
kind of separating themselves in, or staying in that top half of the AFC and then putting Carolina back in the scrum of that wild card area of the NFC. I love it, and I love that it's on Thursday night because so many people yeah. complain about the Thursday night football game, and when it lines up like a week like this does where you actually have a legitimate football game to watch, yeah. it, even though the Monday night game is so brutal with the Giants and the 49ers, it's still you still say, hey, can that young kid do what he did last week in his second career start? Is George Kittle really that good? Let's just watch Saquon Barkley. You know, there's something there. When you kick the week off with this matchup, I completely yeah, it's, agree. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like that Vikings Rams week. We had a good one there. Uh, we've had a couple good ones. I, I don't know. For the first time guys, in a while. Yeah, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm kind of over the whole Monday night. Uh, <laughs> it seems very forced now. I don't know. I, I could do without it. I like the Thursday, but to me, my most favorite game. I wish there was more of these nine thirty yes. morning games. <laughs> yeah, let's, if we have to play more in England, I'm cool because I yeah. love waking up to football. And I don't even think we have to play it in England. If you put the Jets on at 9.30, the stadium's going to be packed. We'll get yeah, there and tailgate. We'll be, I think it's awesome how you uh, – I just I just think that's an awesome time. I would take away the Thursday or the Monday and keep that almost like a automatic slot at night. There's nothing like waking up and having the one game leading into the other. Uh, well, it's almost like maybe you take the Monday night or the Thursday night game and once once every seven, 16 weeks you have to play at 9.30 a.m. instead of playing a Monday or a Thursday. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. And maybe that's just an East Coast yeah, that would bias be that cool. I don't want to be staying up till mid- it's hard. I'm getting old, I guess. It's hard to stay up till <laughs> midnight, one in the morning. I mean, I, I just got, I was out west this weekend recruiting and being able to wake up and watch football at 9 a.m. for college and 10 a.m. I mean, you've got that night game, so-called night game, and the Patriots and Packers are kicking off at 5.20. I mean, it is awesome. And then you can have your night at 8.30 on and thinking of heaven. I mean, they were complaining out there that the Dodger game of 18 innings lasted till midnight. <laughs> well, that was 3.30 where we were living. So, <laughs> welcome to our world. We got we, we got NBA playoff games that tip off at 10.47 at night on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, the Yankees and the Red Sox were playing till like 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that was a nine-inning game. <laughs> Although, I, Coach, I don't think you could do the, the 9 a.m. Uh, West Coast. That'd be a 6, a 6 a.m. 6 body. start. 6 a.m. start <laughs> for them. Mentally, right so they'll out, be all screwed right up. From, right from out the night, your Saturday night out into yeah. the game. There you go. I mean, I'll tell you only, what. Only Broadway Joe could pull that off. Yeah, as you can say, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, that might have happened more than you think. <laughs> that was, yeah, it happened every week. All right, listen. Rob, we love having you on the podcast. You know you're always welcome, but you're not getting off that easily. We have one more question for you, okay? We had a Friday dab last week on what the best sports city in America is. Or region. Or region. You know, it's kind of a... That's almost a debate in its own right. But at the end of the day, I went by the side of the Boston, New England. Anthony went by the side of New York. We've had some people reach out. I had somebody reach out on uh, Instagram about Pittsburgh. I had some people backing Boston. If you had to give us, Rob DeToma, your best sports city in America or region, what would it be? Well, there's so many factors you'd have to look at for that. Uh, I think you got to encompass, to me, if you're going to talk about a sports city, you're going to have to factor in college, pro, everything within that town. Uh, and like I said, coming, I just came from the West Coast. It ain't anything on the West Coast. <laughs> there's no passion for 
sports like there is on the East, and maybe that's because we can't go to the beach every Sunday at noon instead <laughs> of watching football. Um, but to be honest, yeah, you know, I mean, it's got to be an Eastern, an Eastern. Because I mean, you could say St. Louis, but you don't have enough pro sports. You could say even Pittsburgh is missing a basketball team. To me, it might be a little different, but I'm going to say Philadelphia. I lived there for a year. Wow, um, long time ago, but. This is that's a city that has it's unlike New York's tough because we have multiple teams in every sport. So now your own city pits itself against you. There's no Met fans rooting for the Yankees when they get to the World Series or vice versa. How many giant fans you got to deal with that despise the the one year every 20 the Jets make a crazy run. (laughs) Um, So it just doesn't happen in Philly. And the year I lived there was the year the Mets collapsed. And blew the seven games with 17 to go. Oh, that's a good league. year. And that was one of the coolest things because the rest of my life I lived in New York and we just had Yankees Mets. And this is the entire city. I guess probably Boston would be similar, but the entire city was Phillies in that month of September. Uh, there was nobody rooting against. The bu- The city buses had go Phillies on it. Uh, it was just pretty cool to envision. And they're crazy. They're lunatics. Um, not the nicest of people. But they are extremely passionate about their sports. So, you know, I, I don't want to repeat you guys and say New York and Boston. Boston's up there. But And the throw-in difference, I think, with Philly is from coaching down there at Temple, the, the Big Five and the Philadelphia schools have an extreme rivalry towards each other in hoops. Uh, the intercity, LaSalle, Temple, St. Joe's, Villanova, the actual care of college athletics there. I think it's the first town as you work your way from north to south that actually cares a little bit about college athletics as opposed to, yeah, Boston College is playing a big football game this week. Does anybody know in Boston? Or are they, uh, <laughs> yeah, That's the difference, I think. Everybody knew in Philly when Temple was playing Villanova at hoops and it was a big deal. Uh, I think that kind of separates them. In New York, you wouldn't even know we. Do we have colleges that play sports in New York? There was a thrilling Fordham CCNY basketball game tonight that I chose to come home and watch Duke instead. Oh, that's that, right, because I was watching the Johnnies <laughs> play somebody. I'm like, oh, my God, St. John's still has basketball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mullins, baby, Mullins. Bring it back. But, uh, you know, the, the, if you, you watched it a little with how they, the passion for the Eagles last year. Uh, it's a crazy town, especially – I mean, it, don't – They'll be quick to turn on you pretty fast if your team's not good, but I think that's the passion that comes with the towns. But I think the separating factor is definitely they have it on both levels, college and professional. Well, Coach, I thought Andrew was completely wrong when he picked Boston. I'm going to say you are 100% wrong <laughs> by choosing that terrible city of Philadelphia. Good cheesesteaks, though, and a pizza has a good crab fries. It's a good, good eating town. <laughs> hey, listen, if you can gain some calories and, it, and, and you enjoy it, it's always going to be a plus-plus town somewhere. Well, it's, it's just cheese whiz. That's all it is, folks. It was, just and it was definitely it was a cooler town when they kept failing. You know, when yeah. They <laughs> uh, now that they won, they're starting to, between Villanova and the Eagles, starting to get a little arrogant so you might lose them and now they think they're supposed to win it was like kind of like the cubs they were great when they were the lovable losers. now they're just getting annoying yeah you know? now it's like i want to fire joe madden every time i <laughs> yeah, watch get him out of here. Supposed to, now they're supposed to win every year you know? yeah right 100 percent. well coach listen you, i said it before we'll say it again you're always welcome on the podcast thank you thank you thank you for coming in here dropping your college football and your professional football knowledge for us thank you thanks for having me we'll have to do a 
maybe the Jets will win a game or two. We could do another roundup sooner or later, but it's been a while. Oh, and, and maybe the next time we see the Jets or the Dolphins in London, we uh, we podcast at 9 a.m. start, and then uh, <laughs> then we tailgate I, that game. <laughs> I tell you, the way they're playing, maybe they could stay over there. That is associate <laughs> head coach and recruiting coordinator Rob Natoma, our college football analyst and pro football analyst. Rob, again, thank you very much for joining the cast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Anthony. So you see Rob, he chooses a good game Thursday night football. I'm just going to get right into it. And we'll, we'll remind everybody that, that what do you got is, is brought to you by Hawthorne Glass. Everyone knows they need to call Angelo. They go, need to go 973-427-4344. We all know that. But you were fired up when Rob said that he was choosing Thursday night football. So, Anthony Rinaldi, what do you got? What do you got? I, too, coach, was going to take that game. But in lieu of him choosing that game and kind of giving up all the good facts that I had that I wanted to spew out to you folks, I'm going to switch it up, Andrew. I'm going to go to my favorite pastime. That's the hardwood. And that's it's an early, early wow. matchup. It's an early matchup. We brought <laughs> we brought the dab folks in tonight with a little NBA. So I want to keep I want to give it a little love. Okay. Thursday night. Okay. He's gonna you guys watch football Thursday night? That's great. This is the 10:30 jump off. Oh. This is the late game. So after you're watching the Steelers beat down the Carolina Panthers, oh. just like Coach told you, flip over to TNT and watch the Golden State Warriors take on your Greek freak, Adam Tacupo. Wow. And the Milwaukee Bucks in an early showdown of the NBA Finals. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Um, but hot take. Hot take right there. Give me, give, and give me the Warriors to win. Duh. But there is a little talk of Clay, Clay Thompson. Wasn't the news. A little chatter about going to the, the Lakers. I mean, he loves he loves playing in the Bay Area. Don't get me wrong. I mean, so it's tough to play. Tough not to love playing with Splash Brothers. Is Clay your performer then? But I'm gonna take my man Clay. He, str- wow. he struggled at the gate. Right. He drops fifty in three quarters. Give me Clay Thompson. He's gonna bury about twenty-seven. Give me twenty-seven points. Give me nine boards. Give me six assists. And you're gonna watch the Warriors beat down the freak and mo- Coach Budenholzer. And his Milwaukee Bucks. There you go. Wow. So on the fly, Rob Datoma picks Steelers versus Panthers on Thursday. So you decide because that's just how prepared you are. I would have went against Coach, but it's tough to take the road team on a Thursday night football game. Even though the Panthers are playing that well? Even though the Panthers are playing well, my picks are that effing bad. We'll see Thursday night. All right. And Anthony, back to the hardwood. Okay. Well, I'm I'm staying on the football field. Because... I have one game in mind, and I only have this game in mind because the New Orleans Saints beat the L.A. Rams on Sunday, which was, I think, a preview of the NFC Championship game. I think that's the class of the NFC. I know the Eagles are good. I know people talk about the Vikings. I think they're going to be a bust. That's another conversation. But I'm going with the Los Angeles Rams against the Seattle Seahawks for two reasons. A, I want to see how the Rams bounce back. And B, I want to see if the Seattle Seahawks are the real deal. Because they've been playing better football as of late. It's not the Legion of Doom. It's not as good of a defense. But they've been playing better football. And I want to see 
Jared Goff. He's my performer. Not just because he's the quarterback of the Rams, but because when your team gets its first punch in the face, you look at the leader to be the person to have the best game. On the defensive side, we know that's Aaron Donald. That defense was really bad. I'm not going to choose the defense as a whole. So I'm going to choose Jared Goff, and I just want to have a, a respectable day, Jared Goff. We don't turn the football over, which we've been accustomed to the first eight games of the year. We did. We turned it over a little bit against New Orleans. We didn't. We didn't. We scored. 35 points and still felt like we didn't do enough. All right. So let's see Jared Goff performance. So I'm going Rams Seattle. That's a 425 jump off on Sunday. And that is LA Rams hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Man, I wish Seattle would have beat uh, Chargers last week. That would have been a real nice would have really up. changed yeah. the whole difference. And that's right. because originally looking at this week's set of games. the Rams kind of run away with that. Yeah. Division. And I'm wondering for the Chargers, are, are they real? Because I know the Dolphins aren't going to be real at the end. We know that. Their defense isn't good enough. I mean, yeah, played good against the Jets. Terrible surface. The Jets were brutal. Besides the point. I just want to know what's going to happen with the AFC because I know Kansas City is good, and I don't think the Chargers are going to be good enough to take take that division from Kansas City. So that's going to be a wild card spot right there if the Chargers keep playing this well. I'm just skeptical of the Chargers, as I always am. So this week on What Do You Got? You got two footballs, a Thursday night jump off, Steelers versus Panthers. Thanks to our guest picker, Rob Datoma. You have the Los Angeles Rams versus Seattle Seahawks on Sunday at 425, and then Anthony calls audible and goes hardwood. Red 7, Red 7. That's going to be Thursday night as well, 1030. And that is going to be the Golden State Warriors versus the Milwaukee Bucks. And his performer in that game is Clay Thompson. Splash brother number two. And, of course, we remind you, What Do You Got is brought to you by Hawthorne Glass. If you're looking to remodel the bathroom with an elegant and beautiful shower door, or is that table looking old and dull? If you need to enhance those home furnishings, whatever it is, call Hawthorne Glass and our man Angelo, 973-427-4344. And when you do, use the promo code Podcast and receive 15% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne Glass. That's our man Angelo. Anthony, before we get out of here tonight, I thought Rob had a lot of good things to say on both the college and the NFL circuit. I know we don't have enough time to dive into both of them, but give me something that kind of stuck with you that we were able to discuss with our college and pro football analyst today. I, I, I liked his take uh, on his Jets. I thought he was uh, it's tough to be kind of not neutral, but kind of have a, a clear head when it comes to your own team. You always uh, clear because I don't have a clear head when it comes to my team. I think we're the worst at everything and got to blow it up. But I like the way he kind of mentioned how the Jets need to move out of that. That, that defensive mindset of Todd Bowles, um, I, you know, I, I don't know why he was, I mean, I think he was, what, 5-11 five and, five and 11 the last two years in a row, something like that. He had, really hasn't done much with what he was given. Obviously, he was using an older quarterback. Now he's got a young quarterback. And do you really want to waste years grooming your young quarterback with a coach who really doesn't focus on the offense or doesn't have, really have the ability to coach and coach up and train a, a young prospect like a Sam Darnold, who is a gunslinger, who will, who's, who is mistake prone, uh, you know, you really kind of want a, a young, deep, uh, offensive-minded guy to really kind of guide that, guide this guy, and take him for the next ten to twelve years as your, you know, as your star quarterback. So I really, I really appreciated his, his own views on his home home team of the New York Jets. And I agree with that because, and it's not even even if you're not a fan of the Jets. When people talk about the New York Jets, they just always go on the negative side of things, or they always just assume that the Jets are going to be to be blown up. I was very surprised because when I asked him if, if he was going to 
if, if Todd Bowles shouldn't be the coach of the New York Jets anymore, he didn't respond with a, yeah, definitely. He res- eventually got there. But to your point, it made sense. And for me, and I said it earlier, it's just the fact that I never thought about having six teams in the college football playoff. I always thought about having eight. Just five, you want your five power fives and three wild cards. But I'm a firm believer that winning your conference and, and finishing as the number one regular season team should matter for something. And to Rob's point, you expand the playoff from four teams to six. You have a lot of good competitive parity. It makes it a little bit more fun to watch. And you're not kind of making it, not a mockery or a joke, but at the same time, you're still making the ranking system matter. Right, and it's perfect because the one, two get a bye, and typically teams three through six anyway are real, is the real meat of the, of the group that have been dogging. You know, the, the, a lot of good underdog matchups there were potential for teams to really kind of make that run and really get lucky and maybe knock off the top dog. So you're right. I, I, I like that call by, by coach. And one of these days, maybe the wonderful NCAA that is run by a wonderful organization, they'll choose to expand because four, four is not enough. Oh, they'll choose because they're expanding ball games to the dig me, tip your cap, brown box, 2kprinting.com bowl. It's going to be the next one coming out. Hope it is. Played next week, by the way. Bowl season starts next week. Yeah, and you can be three, you you only need three wins now to get to, to your bowl game. Well, you don't need anything. To listen to this podcast, all you have to do is head over to iTunes, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Podbean, just to name a few, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also head over to Twitter and Instagram. Social media, folks. We love it. We use it. You see all the information there. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Download. Subscribe. Download again, folks. We can't ask you enough to subscribe and download. We cannot ask you enough. And of course, we are presented by digmenation.com and vm-sports.com. Head over to digmenation, use the promo code digthedab18, receive 30% off. Head over to vm-sports.com and purchase your tickets for the dinner with Shane Spencer, four-hour open bar Q&A autograph session. Going to be a great time. Huge, huge supporters of the Dab Podcast. And lastly, I'm your host, Andrew Ominella, and with me always, or sometimes, or if we can kind of figure it out, it's my partner, Anthony Rinaldi. Have a good one. For the Dab Podcast, for our special guest today, Rob Datoma, we are This has been the Dab Podcast presented by Dig Me Nation. The Dab Podcast is the official sports podcast of the guy in the tie. Head on over to digmenation.com, use the promo code DIGTHEDAB18, and receive 30% off your next purchase. That's digmenation.com, promo code DIGTHEDAB18. Esquina digital.net. Me gusta así. Me gusta así.